You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. I have no need of friendship. Friendship causes pain. It's laughter and it's loving I disdain. I am a rock. I am an island. Thanks, guys. Don't talk of love. Don't you just love your man like this? This is before the age of public relations and image consultation. Um, ever before people were tuned into cameras, and Art Garfunkel is so threatened he's got his arms folded. When I grew up, by the way, welcome to Cafe Church. You're watching on the live stream downstairs. Good to have you join us, I hope. So when I was a, a child growing up here in Cork in school, I remember this song. It kind of uh, became popular, I think, when I was a small baby. But um, a lot of the teachers really got the message of this song. And I remember growing up and the teachers quoting this song a lot. And we were consistently told that even if it's in your nature to isolate yourself, it's not a good idea. And growing up here in Cork and in Ireland back in the 60s and 70s, um, there was a great sense of community. But I'll tell you this, most Irish people in some way felt like outsiders because we're a small nation and we live on the island, beyond the island, way out in the edge of the ocean. And when we meet with people from the UK, they're a big nation, a world power, the same as the United States or Germany or France or even the emerging nations like Nigeria or the Philippines. These are huge nations and they either have a lot of military power, a big economic power, they've got a huge population. But if you're Irish, you're from a small nation of four and a half million people, way out in the edge, hidden away. We have no hard power. We don't have military or economic might or population might. So intuitively in the Irish culture, in the Irish mindset, even in the Irish education system, in my opinion, there's built up, how can we use soft power? How can we learn how to be charming and make the best of the situation and suss out a situation and try and promote what we're about in a soft way? And so... On Patrick's Day, you go all over the world and you'll see green lights shining on the big monuments, whether it's the Eiffel Tower in France or the, the Opera House in Sydney and so on and so on. So we've used the soft power. But my contention today, as an Irishman, is that if you're Irish, somewhere in your soul, you probably feel a bit of an outsider, no matter where you go. And by definition, if you've moved here from another nation, even if you really love it here, somewhere in your soul or in your mind, it's, it's going on that you're a bit of an outsider as well and that you weren't born here, you weren't raised here, you've moved here. I think most people today who have a faith feel a bit like an outsider because the world we live in has no time for any people of faith. It's become militantly secular. And yet when we study history and we more importantly study the, 
the word of God, the scriptures, we can see God always moving with the ones on the outside, always moving with the people on the edge. He goes to the prostitutes. He goes to the traitors known as tax collectors. He treats women with great respect, which was outrageous back then. And if we look through history, we can see the same thing happening again and again and again. So I want to do a trilogy of talks called The Outsiders. And this is part one. And this one is all about what I call someone who jumped the queue. She was, in effect, in a queue. But she jumped that queue. And the essence of this outsider being blessed was the fact that she had a little bit of faith. So we're going to read a scripture from Mark 7. And let me just tell you the context. Jesus, just before this encounter, had had a, yet another run-in with the religious powers of the day, the scribes and Pharisees. And he'd done something revolutionary. He came up with a statement and he said, there is no longer clean and unclean food. He demolished the difference between the two. And he said something that still resonates with many of us today. It's not what goes into someone's mouth that makes them unclean. What makes us unclean? And let me get back to the Irish thing. The Irish know this because we love the old gab lads, don't we? I've never kissed the Blarney Stone. I've never been in there. I think the tourists do that. The Irish don't enter. But Janie, we've got the gift of the gab. And so the talk and the gossip and the slander, that's what makes us unclean. But Jesus had demolished this wall. And that was shocking. And so he totally threatened the Jewish religious system. And then, as if to make a statement in a very low-key, courteous way, Jesus travels about 50 miles, 80 kilometers, north of the last concentration of Jewish believers, which was northern Galilee. And he does something very unusual. He goes way beyond where he was actually called to go. He was called to reach and to preach and to heal the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He was called to the Jews. But he goes way beyond that. He goes outside. Outside. And he goes to a place called Tyre, which is well known by many people in Ireland because the Irish army, we do have an army, hallelujah. <laughs> we have a small army and a small navy. Well, the Irish army, one or two guys in the church are, are involved in it. And many from the Irish army go to southern Lebanon on peacekeeping duty with the United Nations. And so Tyre, T-Y-R-E, um, and that whole area of southern Lebanon is very well known to Irish people and to the Irish army. And it is to this area that Jesus goes and encounters a woman he really shouldn't have encountered at all. May God bless his word to our souls in Jesus' name. Jesus went and was in the city of Tyre, and he went into a house quietly, as he didn't want anyone to know he was there. But he couldn't keep his presence a secret. As soon as she heard about this, a Greek woman 
came into the house and she started pleading with Jesus. Her daughter was possessed by an evil spirit and she fell at the feet of Jesus begging Jesus to heal the girl. And Jesus replied to her, first let the children eat all they want as it's not right to take the children's food and toss it to the dogs. Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs, she said. Then Jesus said to her, because of your faith, your daughter is healed. And when she went home, she found her daughter fully healed, and the demon was gone. Hallelujah. This is one of those incredible scriptures that it's very easy to misread or not take too much notice of. But this is a prophetic scripture, both for what was to come and I sense even for today. We're told at the beginning of this passage in verse 24 that Jesus went to the house quietly. He didn't want anyone to know he was there. So it wasn't that Jesus was being ultra secret about it. He just didn't want to cause offense. He had made a big statement to the Jewish powers that be. But he didn't want to be constantly or um, offensive unnecessarily. So there's a time when you and I have to speak the truth. But we don't have to be unnecessarily offensive. Many years ago, I went to a, a Christian conference in the UK. This must be 30 years ago or more. And at the time, there were many in the Christian church who believed that no alcohol whatsoever should ever pass through the lips of a believer. There was some who said, drunkenness is wrong, but a drink isn't wrong. And this guy who belonged to the second group of people, he was a leader at this conference, just became ridiculously offensive in my opinion. And even though I belonged to the second group in, in my belief, he was showing people where to bring their caravans and their tents, and he was going around with a bottle of wine in his hand, taking a swig of it. He was being unnecessarily offensive. He was stumbling people's conscience who couldn't go there. And this is not what Jesus wanted to do. He didn't want to be offensive in this way, even though he had no problem speaking the truth and telling a situation as it was. Now, besides the spiritual, let's remember, Jesus was fully God and fully man. So as a human being, he probably just wanted a little bit of peace and quiet. He probably wanted to just draw his breath, have something to eat, rest a little while. Sometimes, even though we love being with one another and we love being with human beings and we love fellowship and community, sometimes it's lovely to go home and close the front door behind us. Amen. A lot of us don't know whether we should say amen to that. Let me, let me, let me, let me tell you the truth. If you never want to be on your own, there's something wrong with you. It is correct that we're on our own with the Lord. 
it's correct that we're with other believers and other people, but sometimes you just need to draw breath and be on your own. So there's no sin in saying, I just want to close the front door and have a bit of quiet time. Amen. We have to recognize this. We promote community all the time, but we must also promote a healthy mental health that says it's good to be on our own as well. So maybe there was a bit of both going on here. Either way, Jesus wasn't promoting the fact that he was in Tyre here in what we now know as southern Lebanon. We're told this woman was a Greek, but Greek was a cover term for anyone who wasn't a Jew, like I imagine almost all of us here. So you could have red hair and freckles, and back then you'd be known as a Greek. So uh, that, that, that's what it meant. That's why Paul said, there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free. Greek was a cover term. This woman, in effect, was a Syrophoenician woman. The Phoenicians would have been the um, ancestors of the Lebanese. I was talking to a Lebanese guy last Tuesday night, and he was actually talking about this, it was a strange confirmation because I'd been preparing the word. So she is what we would today say a Lebanese or a Syrian person. It was something like that. So Jesus is in the house and we're told he couldn't keep his presence a secret. Hallelujah. When Jesus is in the house, you know he's there. When Jesus is moving in a city or a town, when he's moving in a family, when he's moving in a relationship, you know he's there. You sense it. The life is there. The atmosphere changes. You can come into a gathering like this and for some reason we haven't broken through and we might as well be singing to the ceilings. And then you come in and the hair in the back of your neck stands up because you know Jesus is in the house. And so people start changing. How do you know Jesus is in the house? People change. Those who don't know the Lord come to know him. They turn to him. They repent. They're born again. When we see healings and deliverances and mindset at peace and comfort and consolation and all these blessings, we know Jesus is in the house. Even conviction where we've gone wrong, we know he's there. He couldn't keep his presence a secret. Where did the woman find out that Jesus was there? All we know is that she probably heard it. Because we're told, told as soon as she heard he was there, this Greek woman came in. Now, let, let's get into the architecture, all right? Even if you're not into it. Back then... In, in ancient Israel and in that area, they didn't have doorbells, all right? Ding dong, ding dong, ding dong, ding dong. You didn't knock at the door. You kind of just walked in. It's a bit like when I was a kid and I would visit my grandparents down in West Cork. Nobody had doorbells or locked doors. They used to have the half doors, but the neighbors would just arrive in. There was no such thing as, I'll call to you at 7.30 this evening. There was nothing like that. My grandparents were the first to have a television in their area. And so all the neighbors every night would just come in when it suited them to watch the box. And I can remember most of them were hairy, strange bachelor farmers in their 50s and 60s. And they would always say the same thing. They would come to the door. I've got to have a, a bit of a stud wall. Do I have one? I don't think. They would come to the door and they would just go... God bless all here. 
that, that was how you announced you were coming in. They didn't kind of send a text going, can I call over later on there and we'll watch Coronation Street? No. God bless all here. And that's how they came in. And so as a kid coming from the city, it was a little bit of a culture shock to see people just coming. I mean, so you weren't going to kind of watch telly in your jammies. You were going to be dressed to receive your neighbours. Now, remember, there was one TV channel in Ireland back then. It's called RTE. And whatever was on, if you were into it, you watched it. But that was the way it was back then. So in the same way, back in uh, ancient Israel and in that whole area, people just arrived in. They didn't have the closed front door mentality to the same degree as we had. But the woman came in. She had heard. So even though she was 80 kilometers or 50 miles away from the northernmost uh, part of the nation of the Jews, she still had picked up something about this man this Messiah, this, this rabbi who was changing the world. And there was something inside in her that was drawing her to go to him. Now, let me quote something from a woman that history is always overlooking. Who founded the Salvation Army? Anyone tell me. William Booth, absolutely, great man of God. Salvation Army was a great move of God in its generation. Millions of people came to faith in Jesus as a result of it. And on top of that, they also helped the poor and continue to this day, though they're um, perhaps not in their strongest uh, compared to what they were. The thing is, though, the Salvation Army had a co-founder. She was as much the inspiration and in fact, a lot of the driving force behind the Salvation Army, and that was William Booth's wife, Catherine. But you ask anyone who founded the Salvation Army, me included, and we'll all say William Booth, but we're only half right. Catherine Booth was a powerful woman of God. And very interesting that the Salvation Army treated women equally, and they were quite prophetic and quite unusual for their day way back then. But Catherine Booth says this. It's one of my favorite quotes of all time. If we are to better the future, we must disturb the present. Now, you and I know that naturally. We're coming to the end of state exams. If you want to get a good result in your exams, you've got to disturb the present by, instead of chilling out, you're going to study. If you want your garden to look nice, instead of lying out in the sun, you're going to have to cut the grass and so on. But she's talking spiritually. If we want to better the future, and not just collectively, and it works collectively, but it works individually. And it works for your family and for my family. And it works for your future personally and my future personally. We must disturb the present. And this Syrophoenician woman, this unnamed woman, who shouldn't have been anywhere near Jesus, disturbed the present. Because she had a need. And we're told the need. Her daughter was possessed by an evil spirit. And so she begged Jesus to heal the girl. It's very important that we understand the culture of perhaps, this is just a perhaps rather than a definite, but why was this child 
so tormented by an evil spirit. Well, we do know that the Phoenicians, this is the race this woman came from, that their spiritual practices were what we would today call voodoo, black magic, witchcraft. And many children were conceived in the midst of a religious um, service, if you will, because they would have worshipped the current day or their day uh, equivalent of the fertility gods. And so the whole thing about sex was a big thing with this faith system and connecting in with what we call witchcraft or the occult today. And so many of these children would have been conceived in that concept. And anybody who has any spiritual maturity will know when you open a door to the occult, to seances or Ouija boards or telling the future, when you open a door to that, you open a door for the enemy, for the evil one, to come into your life and to impact even our children. And I don't know for certain, but it is not unlikely that this child would have been conceived in the midst of a, of a fertility cult type service. There was definitely a lot of occult activity going on. And when you've got that mixture between sexuality and the occult, it's a potent mixture that is throwing wide open the doors for the enemy to come in and to disturb and to possess people, including children. I can't say this for certain, but I can tell you that that was definitely the context of where these people were at and what we now call Lebanon today. And perhaps that's how this child was conceived, and maybe that is the reason that Jesus was so, if you will, cold, cold towards this woman who was disturbing the present, because he said, first let the children eat, it's not right to take their food and give it to the dogs. He was called to the house of Israel, he was called to the Jews, first let the Jews receive the word, that's what he means by eat, let them hear the word, let them receive the healing and the blessing, it's not right to take their spiritual food and give it to the dogs, and if you look up all of the context, I don't have time today, of what a dog meant, it included everything to do with sexual Boundaries going way beyond what they were ever meant to go and witchcraft and the occult and all of that. So Jesus, it would, it's very strongly implied, saw right in to where this little child came from and to the probably the spiritual practices of the mother. It is not a stretch to say that that woman would have been something like today we would have called a witch. She was dabbling in black magic and so on. And so Jesus is very firm, but primarily his stand is, lady, it's not your time yet. In a couple of years from now, we're going to look at a Tuesday night, and next Sunday, in a couple of years from now, yes, it'll be time for you to hear, but this is not your time. You're jumping the queue. Now, if you've stood in the rain or in the heat or in the cold in a queue for a half an hour for a bus or whatever and someone jumps the queue you don't like it i don't like it so if you will this woman was jumping the queue her time hadn't come but her need was great 
And so Jesus doesn't seem to be the gentle shepherd that we like to think of him, which he usually is, but sometimes he wasn't. And so many Bible scholars interpret this as Jesus talking about the timeline, but this woman is breaking the timeline. And we see this right throughout the Bible. A timeline is laid out, and then the Lord relents. Remember Hezekiah, that wonderful king in the Old Testament? And the Lord said to him, you're going to die. Set your affairs in order, Hezekiah. You're about to die. And what did he do? He turned his face to the wall and he wept. He wept to the Lord. And it says the Lord had compassion on him. And the Lord granted him a much longer life. The timeline was disturbed and the Lord went with it. It's the same with this woman. Her time had not yet come, but her need was great. And her response to Jesus says so much to us because intuitively, right out from the bowels of her belly, as it were, she comes straight out with even thinking with a statement that wowed Jesus Christ because it showed her faith and it showed her eagerness, and it showed her heart. Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs, she replied. She was straight in there. What she's saying in this, she's recognizing she's not a Jew and her time hadn't come. Somehow she got that. And she's recognizing probably that her lifestyle was messed up. And she's admitting, she's identifying as a dog, which is a huge thing in that culture for a, a Gentile woman to admit that she was a dog. It was shocking. And she's admitting that. But she's saying, Lord, even dogs under the table get some of the crumbs of the children. She's saying, Lord, would you just, would you just touch me? I know I don't deserve anything. I know my prayers to you are illegitimate. They're null and void. I have no right, but oh God, would you have mercy? She was a woman who was disturbing the present to make the future better. It's a bit like what Jesus said in Matthew earlier on than this. Since the time of John the Baptist, the kingdom of heaven has been advancing forcefully and forceful men and women lay hold of it. There is a place in our lives. People think Christians are lovely, silly, gentle. No, Christians are called to be warriors. Christians are called to be pioneers. Christians are called to disturb the present, to better the future. You've already begun it in your life if you love the Lord. You've already put your children in the way of it. We, if you will, are forcefully advancing the kingdom. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven has been advancing forcefully. So when a Christian church like this sets up in a hostile culture... I mean, Ireland isn't the Bible Belt. We're so far from it, the south of Ireland in particular. So you're advancing something forcefully. You have to have that attitude if you want to do anything for the Lord in a culture like this. And it's always been that way if you go through time. And so this woman is unknown to herself almost, advancing the kingdom forcefully. This is a principle. And because she disturbed the present, look what Jesus said. 
because of your faith, your daughter is healed. Because of your faith, your daughter is healed. I'm not talking about crazy naming and claiming it, but I am talking about regular, genuine biblical faith. The woman had faith. So if you consider this morning, all, whatever your big prayer request is, in my opinion, we all, at different times in our lives, have a big prayer request. Maybe it's for yourself. Maybe it's for someone that you love in your family. Maybe it's a bigger thing. But the evil one will stand before you and will throw in your face that you have no right for God to hear you. You have no right for the Lord to answer your prayer. You are this, that, and the other. Well, you know, if this woman was blessed by God, and of all people, she deserved the least, and the Lord praises her because there was something genuine going on in her heart. If the Lord would answer her prayers, do you think he can answer your prayers? Well done, Jabe. You've got the faith. Anyone else believe that? Are we willing to disturb our present to better our future? Even though all of the accusations and the condemnation will be swirling around in our head and perhaps even right now the evil one is whispering in some of our ears, not for you, not for you, yes for you, yes for you. She was out of her time. She disturbed the timeline. She was the wrong people group. She was in the wrong place. She was way, it was years later this was meant to happen. Her background is almost certainly colorful. Let's put it like that. And so much of what had happened to some degree was her own fault. So if any of these accusations are going against you today, you've got to reject them in Jesus' name. So I'm offering the opportunity, simply, if we have a prayer request today, if we have a need in our lives, maybe it's your kids or your parents or your partner or whatever, maybe it's you, let's disturb the present today. Let's have faith like this Syrophoenician woman and break through and plead with the Lord to hear our cry. And I hope that your reaction, your response will be one of faith like this woman. Because Jesus was only ever amazed at two things, lack of faith or faith. He was amazed at people who had the faith in him and he was amazed at those who were cold and didn't have the faith. They're the only things that seem to have surprised him. So we're going to do a reprise, sing a song we sang earlier, Spirit Breakout, if you want to make your way up, I'm going to pray. The walls break down in your life and in your faith expectations today. Amen? Amen? That the Holy Spirit would break out in your life, in your faith, and that you would have the courage that this woman had, that you would bring that person or that issue before the Lord today, and that we disturb the present together, the presence together to impact our future. Could we stand? Let's sing Spirit Breakout. And if you want to pray then at the end, when we're finished singing it, I'm going to do a call-up. 
so that we can pray together. Let's sing it and build our faith up. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church today. Our Father. and I made sure all the windows in our bedroom were open and as I was opening the windows I felt the Holy Spirit say to me there are windows opening in the spiritual realm in our church for blessing but also some for curses some of us have to close the wrong window because we're letting the evil one in but for many of us we need to open that window to God's blessing by having a bit of faith have you got an issue? Have you, who's got a prayer here and they want to hand it over to the Lord today? Would you lift up your hand if there's a prayer in your soul for someone else or for yourself? I'm going to invite you to join me by kneeling here on the floor at the top and pray and disturb the presence. Let's sing the song again. If you want to join me, please come and join me. If you're if you don't want to, that's fine. Stay where you are. You can pray there too. But uh, I'm going to kneel down. So let's come up and kneel down. Our Father, all of heaven rose your name. Sing loud. Let this place erupt with praise. Can you hear it? The sound of heaven touching Are you ready to disturb the present? The fact that you're on your knees, you're making yourself vulnerable, you're, you're saying to the Lord, you're saying to yourself, you're saying to others here who may be looking on at you foolishly and think you're crazy, even saying to the evil one, I don't care. I care about the answer to this prayer. And so I'm ready to disturb the presence. I want to speak a word of faith to someone here. You are disturbing the timeline. It's as if this person you're praying for knows not their time. But I believe that open window is for you. And the Lord is saying, I will move the time forward so that the answer to your prayer is no and not years to come when that person you're praying for will have wounded themselves. Let's disturb the present together. Would you put into your hands that prayer request and lift your hands up to the Lord. Jesus, we bring our need. We bring that person. 
we bring that which is breaking our heart that which is like a cloud over us we bring that sentence of death almost that we are looking at or experiencing and we disturb the presence now by kneeling by praying by lifting up our hands by pleading by begging to the living God Oh Lord, we quote Hezekiah, he turned his face to the wall and wept. And so Lord Jesus, we cry out to you now and we pray, oh God, would you change history? Would you move the timeline forward? Oh God, would you bring healing? Would you rescue us from death? Jesus, hear our cries. We are not ashamed. We cry out to you, Lord. Hear the prayers of your people you know where we're at and the Lord would say the evil one would condemn you and throw stones at you and declare all manner of death upon you but there is no condemnation for the one who loves the Lord. You are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. And so the Lord would say to you, I have heard your cry and I will move heaven and earth and I will change all that man has set up and I will change all that the evil one has set up and you will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. This is God's promise for you. Father, we leave this situation at your feet. And Father, we will not accept condemnation this morning. We will only accept the blood of Jesus that makes us clean. And so we hand over our prayer, but we don't hand over it with a sense of defeat. We do it with a sense of faith for the God who delivered that young girl and cast the evil one out of her even at a distance take the evil out from our families take the sickness from our situation take injustice oh god take that curse away from us whatever it is jesus we close the window to the curse but we open the window to the wind of the holy spirit blow mightily blow gently and let our lives the lives of our loved ones be changed and we pray we would see it now father finally as this woman went home she found her daughter changed and healed i pray when we will go home later on that we will see the beginning of the evidence of a healing of a change of an answer to our prayer come lord jesus Oh, Holy Spirit. Oh, Holy Spirit. We need you in our lives. Spirit, break out and break these walls down. That we may see a change in Jesus' name and God's people said. Amen. Amen. Let's stand, guys. Let's sing to the Lord as we go back to our seats. Spirit, break out.
Will we pray for our week ahead, lads, as we come to a close? And think about your week and think about the needs that you're going to see at work, with the family, whatever. Let's pray as we prayed, that there's an open window on your life. And just as I opened my bedroom window last night to leave a bit of air into the house with the warm weather, I pray you will feel the breath of Jesus on your face, on your soul, and that cool breeze of the Holy Spirit would bless you. So for one last time, I invite you, if you want, to lift your hands. And we pray now, O oh God, as we conclude our service here today. Lord, somewhere in our hearts and in our minds, spiritually speaking, we open the window wide and we invite you, O Holy Spirit, would you blow on our experience and may every man and woman here know something of the rook, the wind of God's Spirit blowing in our lives this week to guide us, to protect us, to help us, and to bless us. And may we bring that atmosphere of heaven with us wherever we go. Bless our week ahead in the name of Jesus. And for one last time, all God's people said, Hallelujah. Thank you so much for coming. We really appreciate your presence with us. We're serving coffee upstairs if you have the time to stay. Otherwise, God bless you as you go. The guys are going to sing us out. Hallelujah.